0: Hey, FOMO Sapiens, March is Women's History Month, and to celebrate all of the contributions of women in our society and in the business world, every episode this month features a fantastic female FOMO Sapiens. So listening into this month, we're going to have amazing new guests. They're going to tell you what they're doing, what they're building, and how they're doing it. And remember to thank the women in your life for all they have done for you and for society. FOMO. Welcome back to FOMO Sapiens, the show for people who don't just follow the crowd, but instead take their own path to success in business and in life. I'm your host, Patrick J. McGinnis, venture capitalist by day, author and podcaster by night, and FOMO Sapiens 24-7. Now today, we're going to be talking to a complete and total FOMO Sapiens about a very FOMO sapiens topic, as it were, which is how to live a life that you actually want to live, not just living what other people consider to be the life that you should live. And, and that's always hard, right? But if you can figure it out, it can be powerful. And my guest to talk about this is Terry Trespicio. She's an award-winning writer, speaker, brand advisor, and she's the author of the new book, Unfollow Your Passion, How to Create a Life That Matters to You. Now, her TEDx talk, Stop Searching for Your Passion, has surpassed 7 million views. That's no joke. A former magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart, she's appeared on all kinds of shows like The Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Early Show, Martha Stewart, and The Anderson Cooper Show. Now, on today's episode, you're going to learn a bunch of stuff, including why you don't want to subscribe to other people's to-do lists for you. They're basically you know, telling you you should want to do this and, and how you get out of that mindset, why you shouldn't be so worried about getting out of your comfort zone, and another one, why bucket lists are way overrated. So we get into all that, and the, the upshot is that you start to understand how you can be free to do the things you want to do and live the life you want. Now... I will say, Terry's got a lot of great advice. And she does talk a lot about issues that are really specific to women. I, this is a book for everybody, but she has talked to a lot of women in her research. And so if you know somebody, male or female, but particularly female, who would enjoy this show after you listen to it, send it to them. Introduce them to FOMO Sapiens and get them on the FOMO Sapiens train. All right, and now to the interview. As you know, I'd like to start every interview by asking the same question. And so I asked Terry this question. What's the most important decision that you've had to make to get to where you are today?
1: Hands down, the decision to live on my own, not get married, and not have children. It sounds like a, as if I had it in my hand and I was going to have it. If it, It's not like, oh, I'm going to do this. Nah, I won't. It wasn't a thing, but I kind of steered away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't that I don't enjoy you know, relationships and all that, but I think that it was the best decision for me to do my best work. And I say that not lightly because most people in human history will partner and have children. We are sort of the standout, not so much now. There's plenty of people who live you know, on their own. But that, even now, I say, it was the best decision for me because I could focus and do what I really, really wanted to do, which I'm sorry, if you have three kids, it's really hard to do what's, what you want
0: to do for yourself. You know, it's a very subversive thing what you just said. Right. Like, I think um, y- y- you don't think so on the surface necessarily, but like that is it is a choice that a lot of people make, but traditionally hasn't been made. And so p- people think about it as like, well, you, you just haven't found that thing yet. You haven't done that yet. You're you're not going there. You're like, no, no, I have no, no. made this decision. And I wonder, I mean, I'm sure you have a lot of people who question you. And what oh, what do you God. say? Are you
1: kidding? <laughs> First <laughs> of all, well, this is a fun fact. Like over, I don't know, I've been 10 years ago. I was featured in a story in Boston Magazine about people who were single by choice. Most of them were women. I think it was a women's thing. Uh, On the heels of that big Atlantic story of all the single ladies, there was a whole moment around that, remember? Uh, And I somehow ended up on the cover of that magazine. That was not even planned, but they just, oh, they like the picture. So there's a cover of Boston Magazine with me leaning off it and it says, this is Terry. She's, whatever it was, 37 at the time? And she's fine with never getting married ever. That was the headline on the cover (laughs) of the magazine. And I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty great for dating because people are going to know I'm single. Mm. Very bad for dating, actually. (laughs) Because they're like, oh, there's something very still in this day and age off-putting about a woman who dares say that she doesn't feel incomplete without a partner. Without a long-term live-in, share-a-house-and-a-bank-account partner.
0: Yeah, it is. It is true. And it is is. reminding me right now. And this is this is different. So I'm not conflating these two things. But we had Sunil Gupta on the show earlier this year. Uh, and he was talking about the fact that when he, he spoke at a conference on failure and whenever you would Google failure, there was a picture of him on the Internet, which is just like. Yeah. Ah! So I'm not saying that being single is a failure, obviously. What I'm saying is that like, it's weird when you're living your life, you're a multifaceted human being, you're doing your thing, you have a job, you create stuff, you're thinking. And then all of a sudden, like the media or whatever, you're suddenly like people know you for one thing alone. And it's like kind of weird. You're
1: the poster child. <laughs> you're the poster child. But I will tell you, that's a one weird moment like that that happened was weird, right? But uh, here's another story that you'll love. I was speaking at an event. I do a lot of public speaking. And a man came up to me at the break and was like, that was really great talk. And I was like, oh boy, here comes. And he said, "Uh, do you have kids yet? Mm. Which I thought was a weird thing to say. And I said, no, not. And I was also like, not going to go, no, not yet. I said, no, not yet and not ever. And he said, oh, well, that's a shame. You have so much to offer the world. And I thought, no, you think I only have one thing to offer the world. I know I have a lot to offer the world. And if I had children, I might not be able to do it all. But you just said in saying that to me that you actually think I'm only good for one thing. And I just think it's funny when people say, oh, no, but you still could if you want. I was like, no, no, no. We, I don't need more hope for one goal. I need to be able to pursue lots of goals.
0: Yeah. So you're, I love it because you you've managed your FOMO. But then you're directing it in other directions, which is what FOMO sapiens do. And you have written this new book called Unfollow Your Passion. And it's it's based on a TED talk you gave that had 7 million views, which is a lot of views, by the way. It gives me FOMO. Oh and uh, huh. it does because I, I have one and it did fine, but I'm very happy, but it's not 7 million. But, uh, I, you know, so you come out with this book and it's it's an interesting concept. Like, so why why are you focused on this notion of unfollowing your passion? Like, what drives that for you?
1: Well, what's funny, too, is that whenever, obviously, people go, oh, she had a TED Talk in 2015. Oh, now she wrote a book about it. It seems as if that was a linear progression. Uh But once I was done with that talk, I was moving on. I never was going to do anything with that again. Uh And then when I put a book together, which, by the way, was a totally different book, I was thinking it was going to be somewhere along the lines of it's usually about making your own choices and living your own life. I knew it was going to be something like that. But when I brought it to the publisher... They were like, yeah, 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 but it's got to be, like, you got to go back to that. Ta- I mean, that's the only thing anyone ever cared about. So guess what you're doing your book about? Welcome to the publishing. So, <laughs> yeah, welcome to publishing. They're your new client, and you collaborate with them to create a book that they think they can sell. I could have gone and printed up my own book, what I wanted, and, and not sold it, you know? So the reason that I'm doing the book is not because I have a passion for this topic, and I only want to talk about that, hardly, but because that's the one that hit the nerve. Mm. And the reason it hit the nerve is, yes, it's counterintuitive. Fine, that's good for splashy. But the reason it's stuck and the reason it just surpassed 7 million views and has grown steadily is because people are relieved to hear it. If, If it was news no one wanted to hear, they wouldn't watch it or share it. But people write to me all the time that they're relieved because they thought they were supposed to have the one thing and know their one singular purpose and follow it until the end of time. And to hear someone say, "You don't actually have to know, and you actually don't have to do that," was like, "Oh my god, big news!"
0: You're so right. I'm just thinking back to—I I know I've told the story before, but I'll tell it again. Which is that I remember a number of years ago, um, there's a guy um, called Andy Dunn who started a company called Bonobos, and I knew him socially in New York, and you know, it's cool because he'd like walk into this any party and he was wearing all his clothes and it was very clear he had found a business that was his passion, that represented who he was. He walked in the room and he was that business. And I was like, I'm never gonna have that. I'm a banker, you know, I work in private equity. I like what I do, but I'll never feel that level of, connection and passion that he does. And it took me much longer to find something that I did feel passionate about. But in the meantime, you know, it wasn't like I was living a useless life. And I think the notion that we should just all be able to pluck that out of the air and live that life, it's really hard, right? And I, you know, I I think that's a, it's a really powerful message. And what I love about your TED talk, by the way, is that the first comment, which got the most likes, there's a guy called Matt Stone who got um, 1,400 thumbs ups and he made the comment. Man, she is really passionate about not being passionate. <laughs> so thanks, Matt. So, like what what does that mean to you then? I mean, let's get into some of the the stuff you talk about in the book, some of the the big ideas. So one of the one of the big ideas that you put out there that I think is really interesting is the idea of unsubscribing from other people's agendas. So how does that well, play into the picture?
1: Because if we think that, and if we're my goal is to disabuse people of this idea that they have to have one way of doing things. Um and that there were were kind of backwards in terms of how we think of passion. Uh, by the way, mm-hmm. I'm not. I feel like I should say this because I feel like people think, oh, she wants to be dispassionate about everything. I just think we can't go chase it. It has to emerge. Yeah. But the idea of unsubscribing was the first step on that because before, if you're like, oh, what am I supposed to be doing? First, you have to clear out all the ideas that fed that notion that you're supposed to widgetize, that you're supposed to be the Bonobos guy or the guy who created Amazon or the guy who did that. Like It's always the guy who. And in order to do that, we have to look at where we signed up for those ideas. Because I look at a lot of the ideas that I had in my head rattling around and said, well, I didn't subscribe to this. Please unsubscribe. Like Check, uncheck, uncheck all those boxes. So how are we supposed to know what we're supposed to do or want to do even if we're so clouded by about other by what other people say that we should do. And there's a lot of things that we think we're like, well, I guess I'm signed up for that. And then you go, I don't, I don't want to do that." How many times do we ask that? You have to clear that out if you're going to see anything clearly.
0: Fomo. Tudo bem, meus queridos Fomo sapiens. Now that right there was Portuguese, and as you know, I love speaking foreign languages. But I'm not alone. One in 5 Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off that list with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash FOMO. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash FOMO. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash FOMO. Rules and restrictions may apply. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, or delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. And with rising prices everywhere you look, you gotta do the math and save money. Good news: by popular demand, Netsuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. So head over to netsuite.com/fomo. That's netsuite.com/fomo. Netsuite.com/fomo. Fomo. It's so tricky this because I think about a couple of examples. Number one, I remember freshman year in college, I took calc, and I'm not good at math, by the way. And everybody in my my class was pre-med. You know what I'm talking about? And then by the end of the year, like they all, you know, some people do it. And thank you to all the doctors because it is a serious commitment. But there are a lot of people who maybe they were the children of doctors or they come from a culture where doctors are super respected. Same with lawyers. There's all these fields where people come into college and they're like, I'm going to do this thing without ever having gathered data about whether they actually like the thing or thought deeply about, like, do I right. want to do this, right? And so a lot of times, I guess what I'm thinking is, as you talk about this, is, okay, unsubscribe from other people's agendas. A lot of times you have no idea that that's actually, that's what's happening, and you think it's your own agenda. How can you tell a, right. how do you tell the difference between the two?
1: I think about, I mean, this is going to, this sounds a little bit woo-adjacent, oh, but I like I'll it. say it. Woo-adjacent. <laughs> Yeah, that. Uh, by the way, that is a that is not a term I made up. That is a Laura Belgrade term. She is all about woo adjacent. Like we're kind of going to look at it, but we're not going to totally be all into mm. it. Here's what I think about that. You have to know when you think about that thing. Like if someone says, "I'm going to be a doctor," I'm going to be a this, and they come up with like, "Who are the people in your neighborhood?" Like, "What uniform are they wearing?" Do I want to wear that uniform? Like, uh, you have to say, "Like, why do I want to do it?" Mm. And it's the same questions I ask of why you have certain things on a bucket list, why you think you have things as a goal. Do you look forward to doing it? Do you like the act of doing it? Or do you want to simply say you did it? So I think there's a lot of people who went to law school thinking they were going to be lawyers and then were like, oh, this sort of sucks. And then they go and do something else. They, it's good that they went to law school. That gives you a wonderful education on one thing. But sometimes we think, oh, do this, aim for these things versus do I want to do it? Same thing, exactly the same with doctor. Okay, do you uh, do you like the idea of being woken in the middle of the night, working endless hours for endless years? Or is it like, but I'd look so good in a white coat. It's like buy a white coat. (laughs) I know a comic who says uh, people run marathons. Why are you running marathon? So I can say I did it. You can still say you did it. <laughs> no one's stopping you <laughs> from doing that. <laughs> but like this idea of these big goals, we think there's something around that to aim high. And I want everyone to see that I'm aiming high. When really, do you want to do that thing? Why? Our mutual friend who introduced yes. us, Dory Clark, she said for a long time she thought, well, maybe I'll aspire to be the president of a university or a dean of she just had this idea of like an academic role. And now that well, I've gotten to know her over the years, and I said, you would hate that. She goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I shadowed it and was on a few boards and I realized I would hate it. But the idea of it's cool, it's noble, it's it looks important. Is that how we're choosing goals?
0: That's a very good point. I'm just thinking, I'm feeling ashamed right now because at the... Uh, oh no, during, that was not the dur- During effect. the pandemic, I bought a road bike. And I like cycling, by the way, but like the best part of it was buying all the gear, the RAFA gear, like the that you wear and I I was like man this stuff's so cool like look at these socks and like I haven't (laughs) do you know what I mean and I haven't really ridden the bike it's sitting behind me over here do uh, you like
1: doing it? You I like do like doing, doing it,
0: it, but I think that like again, you know, a lot of in my in my work in the past, I talk about the 10% entrepreneur, the idea that you should try something before you go all in. And you know, I have I have so many examples of people in my life and myself who you think you want to do something, but the minute you buy the bike and all the equipment, you realize, yeah, this is nice, but like does it, jo- I'm not going to do this every day. So, you know, I use it three times a year. Does it really worth the the investment? Those kinds of things. Right. I mean, right. If I had a garage, if I lived in the suburbs and had a garage, I could just throw it in there. But, you know, I live in New York City. It's like taking up half my bedroom. And so I do think that thinking about these things, like what you're saying and gathering the data and like the why, why, you know, outside of the optics and pleasing mom and dad or living up to the childhood dream or being able to buy the cool Rafa gear, like it's a healthy, it's a healthy way to think about life.
1: Well, how is it feeding this idea of how we want to see ourselves Mm -hmm. versus what we want to do? Let's stick with biking for a second. Over the pandemic period, I got a Peloton. Realize I got a Peloton kicking and screaming about it because I said, I don't, I live in New York City apartment too. I don't want a Peloton. I never opted to go cycling. But my sisters, both of whom are married or, you know, they were, one of them was married, had kids, they live in Massachusetts they love their Pelotons. Mm. And, they, and I said, "I that's good for you. Good for you. And they said, but you should really do it because you're going to be inside all winter and there's nothing. And they said, also, you could ride with us. And I hadn't had a lot in common with them lifestyle wise. And I realized this is not a Terry has to love a Peloton. If they told me to get anything, like I would have been like, wait a minute, this is a different reason. Mm. I got that Peloton because my sister said, why don't you consider it? I found a spot for it. And I had zero passion for Peloton until I started to do it. And I got on every day because they were on. And we would talk about what rides we're doing. It was an invitation into the culture. And I'm not like joiner culture, mm. like, yeah, Peloton. I was sort of like, I don't even own. I was like, should I buy a shirt? What am I doing? But I did it because I got to talk to them. And over the pandemic, over the past, you know, what almost two years, I've gotten closer to them than I've been since we were kids. And it's because... I have something to share with them. And along the way, I lost like 10 pounds. Like that was worth it. But that wasn't, I'm going to be cool because I have a Peloton. I w- It was a totally different reason. And so that's more proof to me that I don't have to be passionate about something for it to add a tremendous dimension to my life.
0: You know, as somebody who also got a Peloton <laughs> during the pandemic and I loved it, <laughs> I, I, have, I ride a lot less now, but it's a wonderful place to dry your clothing as well.
1: It really is a wonderful place to try yourself. Uh, But uh, just different motivations for why people do so. A
0: hundred percent. All right. You also talk about another, I love just like you're you're bashing all the myths here. You talk about the fact that you don't need to make a point to leave your comfort zone, which is one, Uh, and which, by the way, like you need to unpack this for me because I'm I'm not sure that I agree with you yet. So explain that.
1: I think we probably do agree. I'm being picky about it because I don't like (laughs) the idea of it. I, it's not about, are we going to have to be uncomfortable? Are we going to have moments of discomfort in our lives? I would argue we live a lot of, if not, you know, three quarters of our lives outside Mm. of our comfort zones. Anytime I've had a cafeteria tray in my hand and turned around and had to find a place to sit, I was uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I had undiagnosed gluten intolerance. I spent most of my life eating things and being uncomfortable. Like discomfort is sort of the way of living on the planet, I feel like, and tell me if you agree with me, There's something that always bothered me with the like, yeah, we have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. No, no, please don't tell me to be uncomfortable. Because the fact is we say that, but as soon as you are able to, aren't you going to opt for more legroom? Aren't you going to opt for a nicer bed if you have the chance? This isn't just about creature comfort. We want comfort. We crave it from the moment we were spat out of the womb, which was the most comfortable place we've ever been. And we were literally squeezed out screaming and naked into the world and that's when discomfort began so don't tell me that i need to find ways to be uncomfortable i would rather make comfort my goal and suffer as few moments of discomfort i have to in order to get and maintain it the last thing i'll say though patrick is it comfortable well, it's not the last because i have a lot to say about it but <laughs> comfort is in my mind not the same as complacency as laziness people say well you can't be comfortable oh i do a lot more when I'm comfortable. And the piece of research that I always point to is a very popular article in the Harvard Business Review called The Feedback Fallacy, published in the spring of 2019. Marcus Buckingham and Ashley Goodhall. of course, they've like written, Marcus Buckingham's written the best, best-selling business books in the world. Uh, they said that co- there's so much talk about leaving our comfort zones when, in fact, if you're outside of yours... You're doing very little, but trying to survive it until you can be comfortable again. And so if you want to thrive and do great things, you have to feel good where you are. That's the only place we can thrive. FOMO.
0: FOMO. You know, as you say this, two things came in my head, which you you gave me new ideas, which I thank you for. The first is that I never thought about it, but when you're in your flow state, you're in your comfort zone. Like nobody's like, hey, what a, (laughs) I'm so productive right now because I've just, feel very uncomfortable like flow state has to align i mean maybe by the way if you're listening you know steven kotler or you want to come on anybody has any feedbacks on that that i'm wrong let me know but but it just occurs to me that's the case the other thing that you that i was thinking as you were talking is it is cool to think about the fact that there's lots of times like the you know when you show up to the cafeteria and you don't know anybody and you got to sit down at the table Like nobody gives us credit for those times. And we have times every day where you walk into the party and you don't know anybody where you're outside your comfort zone and you're not even giving yourself the credit for making through that moment. So just like recognizing that on a daily basis that you're pushing yourself in these different ways and that all of those, by the way, are flexing the muscles so that when you get to the bigger things, actually, you may not even see it as it as you being outside of your comfort zone because you built that strength like that is a cool way to think about powering through life every day.
1: It sounds like, I agree. I mean, I said, I knew that we would kind of probably agree on that only because I'm not, I'll take myself as an example. I'm not okay with keeping things the way they are. I want to take risks. I want to try stuff. I want to meet new people. I want to do all that. I will suffer some discomfort in order to do it, but the goal is not discomfort. The goal is so that I can be comfortable doing it. Take stand-up comedy. I've studied it. I've performed it. You know, I really enjoy it. I think it's terrifying. There is nothing less comfortable than getting up in front of a room full of people who are ready to not be impressed by you, and they've been drinking. Uh, and so you get up there, you're going to do it. I didn't do it because, like, yeah, man, I just wanted to, like, be uncomfortable. No, I didn't. I want to be more and more comfortable up there. I did it because I knew the more I stood in front of people in an attempt to tell jokes, the better I'd be a speaker everywhere else. And that did happen. And I've gained incredible comfort on stage because of those moments of discomfort. But make no mistake, comfort is the goal for me, at least. (laughs) And I think a lot of people, because that's the thing people keep asking about. The book isn't even out yet and people are asking me about it.
0: Now, there's one more thing you put in there that's spicy, as I like to say, that uh, right, that you you talk about. It. And we had a, a guest on the show in season five called Ben Nemton. And he is his whole sort of work is around the idea of bucket lists and doing the things in your <laughs> bucket list. And you write about the fact that bucket lists are overrated. So listen, right. I, and I love Ben, and I'm sure you would love him too. And so we should get you guys together. But I would love to hear cuz I've never made a bucket list that I can think of. I think I tried to make one and then, you know, the problem with me is like I'm I revise it every 3 minutes so cuz I have massive FOMO, obviously. That's good though. So tell me about talk that. about your 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 strong position against the bucket list. <laughs>
1: Patrick, the problem is a lot of people created a bucket list in like 1989 and they never changed it. They still think they're going to go learn Japanese, but they haven't made one move to learning Japanese or climbing this mountain. Again, it's the parading of big ideas that always bothered me. I'm not out to cancel anyone with a bucket list, especially if your bucket list includes seeing things you're probably only going to need to see once. Travel, that is built in bucket list, unless you have a place at the Cape, in which case the Cape is not your bucket list, it's where you go in the summer. But I'm all for that. I love trying new things. But a friend of mine who I wrote about the book, she she said, you know, when you do a bucket list thing, when you're doing things just because it's on your bucket list, it's a bit of a ruse because you're saying, oh, I'm not, I'm not really doing that. I'm just like doing a checkbox. Like there was someone in my stand-up comedy class who was like, oh, I'm here because it's like on my bucket list as you stand up. I was like, oh, so you're not really here. You don't want to really be judged. You're you're auditing because we're all in on this. We don't all think we're going to make a living from comedy, but we're all in it. But you're now hiding behind the, oh, don't mind me, checking boxes here. And it just seemed like that's performative. And I know that's weird because it is stand-up, which is performative. Mm -hmm. But the point being that I don't like to say things. You know, they said, uh, I forget who, but you'll probably know. When we say things out loud, like, I'm going to walk the Appalachian Trail. When you announce it, I'm going to write a novel. People give you so much praise for it that it feels like you already did it. And so it's this idea of claiming the things you're going to do and when you do, if you're like, I'm just going to do all new things all the time, you might be trying lots of things, but you're trying lots of things once, which means you're flexing one muscle, the newbie muscle. The real pleasure and passion, if you will, comes from when we allow ourselves to master something. Not when you get up once and bomb at your one and only stand up gig, but when you actually learn what it takes to do something well. That gets underrated.
0: So if we do all this stuff and we don't follow other people's agendas, we unfollow our passion we stop trying to leave our comfort zone in the way that we discussed we don't worry about the bucket list we made a long time ago what happens like where do we get like what is the what's the goal here
1: the goal is people think is it to have money is it to be just happy to be content to my mind the goal is bigger than all that the goal is to be truly free that sounds like oh okay well i feel pretty free to do stuff do you though because I could tell people, and this is not a book just for women. I only, I don't only talk to women, but let's just say I talk to a lot mm-hmm. of women uh, who, you know, the the feeling stuckness of like, but can I, is it selfish if I do this? And if I, they're not free. And the fact is most people won't choose this kind of sovereignty mm-hmm. to decide not to do what your sisters and your family does, decide not to do what your friends do, to decide to, to do something else and not do other things. They won't because the trade-off is If you take sovereignty over your life, you then also take the responsibility and the blame. And I think most people would rather do what other people tell them to do and then complain that it didn't work and they would have done something different, but not actually take that risk. Because if I do and it doesn't work, I only have myself to blame. I'd rather blame someone else. So to me, the hook of sovereignty, outside of obvious freedom, meaning freedom to exercise your right to do everything, which not all people have, I'm talking about the kind of freedom where you do get to make your own choices and you're going to actually do that because I don't think most people want to.
0: Do you think that if you do this, I mean, what I'm kind of thinking where my head is going is like truly great leaders or truly great innovators or truly great creators probably are more like this than the other way around. Is that accurate, do you think?
1: I mean. You were talking like corporate leaders or people we look up to. Mm. Some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. I mean, I think you could have someone who is not known as a truly great leader who doesn't get any credit for anything on the public stage. And they actually are free because they know the choices they made, the best choices they made. They had a growth mindset about it. They're ready to evolve and to bounce back if things don't work out. There is a path to real joy and happiness that that doesn't necessarily mean the praise by others. I would say people who are super famous, it's actually very hard for them to be truly free. You think, well, if I had all that money, I have fame, I can do anything I want. No, you actually can't. You cannot. And that is a different kind of lack of freedom, one that people would happily give everything away for. Um, I don't know that I would. But I know that I've gotten to an age now, since I'm not a kid anymore, where I feel a relief of not having to apologize for the life I've chosen, specifically as a woman. And, you know, that's that's a real choice. There's trade-offs with it, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And can we all say that about the lives we have?
0: It's amazing. All right. So if you're looking for comfort and freedom, head on over to unfollowyourpassion.com and go check out Terry on Instagram. I follow her. Her Instagram is at ttrespicio.com. That's T-T-R-E-S-P-I-C-I-O. Terry Trespicio, thanks so much for being here. Thank
1: you. FOMO.
0: If you like today's show, please be sure to rate it and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Patrick J. McGinnis, on Twitter at PJ McGinnis, and on the web at FOMOSapiens.com or PatrickMcGinnis.com, where you can get all kinds of free resources to live a more decisive and entrepreneurial life. FOMO Sapiens is recorded in New York City.